Well, on this Easter Sunday, we're going to be talking about someone that you would not be surprised that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Jesus. In fact, we're going to ask the question, who is this Jesus? And that is really the fundamental question, uh, really, of all of life, as, you, as, you, as it relates to what this day is all about. Uh, when, really, if you're just looking at it in a uh, global perspective, uh, right this um, day, we have billions of people celebrating this particular day called Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Initially, when I thought about that, I was going to say millions, but at least in terms of statistics, it's billions of people that are celebrating Easter. But the truth is, as billions of people are celebrating Easter or Resurrection Sunday, there are billions of people who are not. And you could ask yourself the question, well, why not? Because they would answer the question, who is this Jesus, in a different way than other people would answer the question, who is this Jesus? Uh, there are all kinds of world religions. Some have uh, large numbers, some have very small numbers. And in case we don't have enough religions, people are always inventing something new and someone new to, to worship. And that's been true throughout history. Um, it's interesting, uh, I was reading about this particular French statesman who was a philosopher and somewhat of a, a wise man during his era, Charles Talleyrand. And an originator of a new religion came up to him and asked him the question. He said, you know, I've, uh, I've started this new religion, but I can't make any converts. To which uh, Talleyrand responded this way. I should recommend that you get yourself crucified and then die and be sure to raise again the third day. <laughs> if you could somehow pull that off, I think you could uh, attract a crowd. But Jesus was always good at attracting a crowd, uh, but often the crowd would dissipate. But after the resurrection, the crowd who had then been reduced to very small, a very small group of people, you could say at the, at the birth of the church there might have been 120. Within one day there were 3,000. And then after just weeks and months, uh, the scripture is it had turned the world upside down and this, this faith had gone everywhere. And why? Because the question, who is this Jesus, began to be answered in such a way that people could not resist trying to decide for themselves what they believed about this one who came and made these amazing claims about being God become man. Well, this morning we're going to try to wrestle that question, who is this Jesus, and see how it applies for us today. Let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we do ask, as in the moments we have, that you might just take this familiar event, I don't even like to call it a story, but this familiar event, and just wrestle with the meaning of it. And might we understand that, that God wants us to, um, just like in every era and every day, decide for ourselves, what are we going to do with this Jesus of Easter Sunday? And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, this morning what I want to do is very simple, I want to just do a few things, and then try to zero in on how that implies to where we are and how we live. I, I, I want to do this. I want to see in relationship to this question, who is Jesus? I want to see that the question is posed. I want to see that there's a prayer for Easter that is prayed. And then I want to look at the answer that is presented in maybe in a fuller way than originally answered. This question, who is Jesus, is not only asked today, but it was asked during Jesus' day. In fact, not only was it asked during Jesus' day, it was asked by Jesus himself. Uh, sometimes if you ask people about what they think of you, uh, you better prepare, be prepared for the answer, right? <laughs> sometimes people think higher than you would imagine they would think and sometimes much lower. 
Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, at least recorded in that particular account of the event, Jesus was in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which, interesting enough, was a very religious place. There was the, the god Pan there. It was kind of a, kind of a, a rather wild religion, which uh, utilized a lot of senses and a lot of physical relationships that were not what you would call PG rating. And, and people were, were pretty amazed with that kind of a god because it appealed to the senses. And, and they had heard about this new religion or this new leader named Jesus, and there was much said about him. And in, in Matthew chapter 16, we pick up the account where, where Jesus, in the midst of people saying all things about him, asked his disciples this, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that was one of the designations of Jesus, the Son of Man. Um, we look back at that, and it sounds like he's just saying I'm some, some human person that uh, is maybe had an exalted position, but the Son of Man was a prophecy in the Old Testament for the one who was to come. And so Jesus, who took on that label, say, well, who do people say I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And so the answer on the street was this, and they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, you're kind of a clone of his, or one come back from the dead. Uh, others said that you're Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so they said, well, we think you're one of the religious leaders, either one kind of current or one that was in the past and now has come back to life or, or somehow is, is being like him. And then he asked the question that each one of us ought to really wrestle with, not so much who do other people say Jesus is, but who do you say Jesus is? Isn't that more important? It's not who other people say Jesus is, but who do you say Jesus is? So he asked his disciples that question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was the one who would always speak up, right, whether he knew the answer or not, he would always give the, give the answer he thought. He said that you are the Christ, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew form, Messiah. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so he defined the Messiah not just as a prophet to come, but as one who was essentially of the same essence as God himself. You are the, the huihas of of Jehovah, you are the the huias of, of theos, which is which is man. You are you are of, of like mind, you know, like heart, like like substance of the living God. Now, th this was a rather dramatic statement by Peter. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the Living God. And so Jesus actually says how he figured that out because Peter wasn't always the sharpest tool in the in the, in the drawer. I mean, you ever, or the, you know, have you ever heard that you know phrase? He, he didn't always get it right. And he says, "Well, how did he get it right?" And Jesus says this: Simon Barjona. I didn't say this in the first one, but i got to give this to you free. The word Bar-Jonah, Bar is son and Jonah is John. So it was son of John, which if you invert that, his name was actually what? Johnson. So I just want to let you know that I'm kind of related <laughs> to Peter. <laughs> okay. Um, so you could, you could literally translate this. Peter, uh, Blessed are you, Simon Johnson, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father was in heaven. Uh, but then he goes on and says, okay, here's the significance of that. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros in the Greek. And upon this Petra, which is the emphasis of his statement, I will build my church. The word Petros uh, really means small rock. But he says this small rock has said something that's related to the big rock, the foundation. And what is the foundation? We know that, that Christ is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And I want you to understand, you got it right because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. 
He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the son of the living God. So the question was posed, and it was answered very clearly, who is this Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. This is the foundation of what the church is all about. It's all about Jesus. But even if you've heard the answer, sometimes you don't always understand the answer. You ever, ever been involved in a classroom setting where the teacher gave it to you? Right, it's, this is going to be on the test. This is the answer. You go, okay, I, could, I, can, I can regurgitate it back. I can puppet it back, but I have no idea what it really means. So I want to give you a prayer for Easter. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is a, a prayer by the Apostle Paul. And we know it's a prayer because he starts out this way, I pray. So if you, if you hear that, that means it's a prayer, okay? I pray, uh, it's implied there, but it's uh, in our English translations, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That's a good prayer for Easter Sunday, isn't it? Because sometimes the more familiar story is, sometimes you lose its significance and meaning. Have you found that to be true? Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, that's, that's old news. That's, uh, you know, kids will say that to you. I've heard that before. Don't tell me that again. And, well, then why aren't you doing it, okay? Because they heard it, but they're not, they're not connecting with it. And, and this is true about all the things in the Bible. I pray that the eyes of your heart, not just your mind, not your ability to re recollect some things you've heard before. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. And then he gives a lot of detail. He says, the heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Uh, God wants us to, to have our eyes open so we see there is a preferred future in his heart for you, which is what happens after this life is over. Well, the hope is calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I want you to understand how good a deal this is. The gospel means what kind of news? Good news. Well, how good is it, Right? Well, how good news is the news of Easter? It's better than any news imaginable because of the riches of this news. And then he says this. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? And these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Not only is there a hope, but there are riches, but there's power. There's strength. And who wouldn't want to be a little bit stronger when you go through the difficulties of life? And then he connects it with Easter, which he brought about the hope, the riches, and the strength and power when he raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Which really simply connects this. Easter is connected to everything that God does. If there's any hope in Christ, it's found in Easter. If there are any riches or good news in Christ, it's found in Easter. If there's any power and strength to live a life that God intended you to live, it's all found where? At Easter. So the prayer of Easter, I pray that all of our hearts and eyes might be enlightened to the fact this is true and has meaning for us now. We don't have to be hopeless. We can be filled with hope. We don't have to feel like we're impoverished. We can be rich. We don't have to feel like we have no strength or power. We have all the strength and power that raised Jesus from the what? From the dead. That's what he wants us to see. So who is this Jesus? A question is posed. Who is Jesus to the crowd? Who is Jesus to you? And then a prayer for Easter. I want you to understand this so that it is meaningful for, for life, not just to hear the story. Now, to be convinced of this, often we need to say, well, has it ever worked for anybody? Has, it, has, has the, the, this hope, this riches, this strength and power, this change that Christ can bring, has it ever worked? And the answer is yes. And I want to bring a Jim up. Where is Jim? 
Where is Jim? Jim, give Jim a warm welcome as he comes, as he shares how this has really made a difference in his life. Rod, first service it was off. I had to learn how to put it on. Good morning, happy Easter. Uh, I was born and raised in a Christian home. I was Catholic, attended elementary, middle school, and high school. And I always felt that I was missing something. I didn't have that close relationship with God. My grandmother raised me for the first three years of my life, and she taught me how to pray and tried to help me walk with the Lord. But, of course, as young men grow up, we feel we don't need God. So I stopped attending church. When I got to college, I was having nothing to do with the Lord. But my second year in college, I met this lovely lady who I fell in love with. And I wanted to get married after a couple of years, and she did too. So we did get married. And I had a good friend who was in my wedding, and his name was Frank. And Frank and I, before we were married, we were kind of uh, party guys. We'd go out, and Frank was kind of what I would call wild. So after we got married, I uh, told my wife, you know what? I don't think we really want to be around Frank. He's just a little bit too wild for me. So four years later, as we've been married, we wanted to have children. And after two miscarriages, we were kind of lost. What are we going to do? We didn't have God in our lives. But out of the blue came these phone calls. And it was Frank. Frank kept saying, Jim, I've got to come over and have coffee with you. I've got to tell you all about my story. And I've known Frank for a long time. What story? I've changed my life. I found Jesus. My response was, I never loved Jesus was lost. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. So I told Frank, uh, sorry, Frank, uh, I've got to go to work. Of course, I was telling stories. For the next two months, Frank was diligent about calling me every weekend, wanting to come over. And I talked to my wife and said, if we don't have him over, we're never going to get rid of him. <laughs> and Frank came over, and he shared the gospel. He shared how Jesus Christ had changed his life, how he'd given his heart and soul to the Lord and was attending a Bible-believing church and said, we need to be there. Well, we thanked Frank, and we parted ways. We said, sure, no problem. We'll, we'll attend. Within a couple of weeks, the Spirit hit my wife and myself and said, told us we need to go, and we did. Oh, my goodness. They were singing songs. Someone said, praise the Lord. I was shocked. I hadn't been to church in a few years. So I said, as soon as they close their eyes for prayer, let's get out the back door. And We did. We left and left, went out the back door. But my wife didn't tell me this. She said a prayer, and she made a deal with the Lord and said, Lord, if I can become pregnant, we'll give our hearts and souls back to you. And guess what happened? My wife became pregnant. And she said, we want to go back to church. And I said, sure, we can go to the Catholic church. She says, no, 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 no. I want to go back to that Bible-believing church. And I relinquished, and I went with her. But it took me a couple weeks longer. And I gave my heart to the Lord, too. And it's been 40 years since we gave our hearts to the Lord. Now, I won't tell you it's been easy because uh, sometimes pride gets the better of you. And pride got the better of me 20 years ago. I had a well-paying job. I was making a lot of money. 
and I was looking at myself saying, look what I've done, instead of putting my eyes on the Lord. And he allowed me to fall. I lost my job, became deathly sick, was in a coma for three days in the hospital. And when I woke up at midnight, I looked out that window and I saw the rain and I was crying. And I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Where do I go? And I heard a voice in my head as plainly as I'm talking to you. Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to follow me? I said, yes, Lord. I'm ready to follow you. The Lord allowed me to fulfill my dreams. He allowed me to go back to college. I got my degrees. And he allowed me to become a special ed teacher. It has been my happiest moments since doing that and trusting in him. I have a verse here from Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3. And it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God. And I'm trusting that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And he will protect me. Thank you. And so you, you heard in the story of Jim uh, this, this morning that his eyes were opened up twice. One, to see Jesus for the very first time, uh, to open up his heart and life to him, to know him as his Lord and Savior. And then, then even after he knew him as his Lord and Savior, that, that God still needed to keep directing him and keep his eyes open so that he could follow his leading. And, and really that's the message of Easter. The Easter is, uh, who is Jesus? The question has been posed in the past and it's been posed continually in the present. And who is he? He is the one he... He whom he claimed to be. He is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He's the one who came for us. Uh, the, the prayer has been prayed that he wants all of our eyes to be enlightened so we might really see and apply that truth to our lives continually. But I want to pose that question a little bit fuller this, this, uh, this morning as we look again at, at just why we should be convinced who Jesus is, but also not only be why should we be convinced of who Jesus is, but what difference should that make and how should we now live? And in case some of you are hoping to, uh, to leave uh, early while we close our eyes, I'm not going to have you close your eyes. And we've locked the door so you can't get out, no. Yeah, who, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one who, who began uh, in, in a miraculous way, didn't he? Jesus is the one who came and he had a supernatural birth. You know, if you, if you were ever to, to try to determine whether someone was who he claimed to be, you'd have to look at his credentials or his qualifications. And if someone claimed to be God, you, you'd have to see something unique about that person. Well, you, you look at Jesus, and, and Jesus singularly is unique more than any, any other person who ever lived on this planet. And it even began at his beginning. Of course, he, he was alive way before uh, Christmas morning. Uh, but when he came, he came in a supernatural way. Didn't he came by way of virgin birth. And it was all prophesied in the past. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And, and then we find in your outline this morning, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. That he was born of the Virgin Mary before she had had a relationship with her husband Joseph, and he came in a miraculous way. Now, either you can believe that supernatural birth or not, but, but let me just throw this out to you as well. 
Many people are enamored with Christmas. And we see that in our culture all the time. I mean, people put up trees and lights and, and packages are, are, are purchased and wrapped and exchanged. And people just love the giving spirit of Christmas. And sometimes that kind of, kind of, kind of slops over into their, their relationship with God and they, they kind of see Jesus as that sweet little baby in the manger and they keep him there. But, but if all Jesus is to you as one who, and maybe you seem to agree that the story could have happened, that he came in a supernatural way and he was born of the Virgin Mary, but you, you keep him as a baby, then he'll never really be what he needs to be in your life. Because if you notice with, with babies, they need to be trained. You know, they need to be nurtured. And they need to be brought to maturity. And they need to seek the guidance of their parents and their extended family. Uh, and it's not the baby that trains the parents, but it's the parents who train the child. And you understand that Jesus is not staying in the manger because he's more than a baby. He's more than a cute little story. He's more than one you cuddle. He's the one who's to lead and be the Lord of your life. He came in a supernatural way, but we don't want to keep him as a little baby. We also know that, that Jesus kind of met the qualifications of being who he claimed to be because he, he was a teacher, but he wasn't like any other teacher. He was an amazing teacher. In fact, the descriptive of those who, who heard him teach and, and they would hear people teach all the time or preach to them all the time. It says in Matthew chapter uh, 7, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Now, now why were they amazed? Because he's more humorous than the other rabbi who were given stories about or ex explanations of the Old Testament? No, but because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There was something about Jesus, like E.F. Hutton, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone what? Listens, because you, you don't want to miss the sound advice, the sage advice for some kind of financial investment, or at least that's what it used to be. But when Jesus spoke, they knew what he said was true and had authority. But if you leave Jesus just as a teacher, you might, you might see him as some kind of Star Wars Yoda, you know, Someone with sage advice. Or maybe, maybe you see him maybe as like Mr. Rogers, right? Remember Mr. Rogers? Maybe, maybe Jesus wouldn't have his sweater on. But, I mean, Mr. Rogers, and he'd come and, and talk to those who were watching him. But what you do with every, you know, great teacher, even one that you're uh, enamored with, and maybe and hopefully in your academic world or a career, uh, whether it be elementary school or high school or middle school or college or graduate school, there, there were certain teachers that just... I mean, they just grabbed you. They, 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 you were just mesmerized by their class and what they had to say. But I dare say even with those teachers, you didn't necessarily buy everything they taught. And maybe if they were outside of their subject material, you wouldn't necessarily follow everything they said. And if you leave Jesus just as an amazing teacher, you, you've missed who Jesus really is because Jesus is not our consultant we don't just kind of take what he says and decide whether we want to follow it or not because he is the teacher, the one who always speaks with authority and always speaks the truth. And some people want to, they want to remember the things he said that they want to put, you know, the, there are certain things that Jesus said you could put on your refrigerator like the, the golden rule, you know, treat people as you would like to be treated. You know, the American translation of that is 
do, others, do unto others before they do it unto you. you know? <laughs> but, you know, some people like the sayings of Jesus. But Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is an amazing teacher, and he spoke words of life and principles of how to live. But he, but he also say, taught very plainly that he was the life. And he was the teacher you needed to always listen to and always follow. The, the Bible also describes him not as the only one who had come with a supernatural birth and as, as an amazing teacher, but he also was a miracle worker. And we could look at the passage I have in your outline in Matthew chapter 4 and in um, verses 23 and 24. It says, uh, as he was teaching the gospel of the kingdom, he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And then in verse 24, it lists those diseases that he was able to, to, to heal. Whether it was a person who could not walk, a paralytic. Other places we know that he was able to bring sight to the blind. He was such a miracle worker, a healer, that he could go, he could go into what we, we would call our modern-day hospitals and everyone would be able to walk out completely healed. And, and Jesus did those miracles to attest that what he said was true. In fact, in John, it says that. It says that, that he gave these signs uh, so that people might believe. In fact, if you don't believe the words I say, just believe the works I've done. But can I throw this all out also as something we need to be very careful about? If we see Jesus as simply a, a Mr. Fix-It man or a handyman, then we're going we're gonna to somehow expect God to, every time something goes wrong, he's going to fix it immediately. And we even heard from Jim's testimony as he shared about receiving new life. He said it wasn't easy afterwards because pride filled his life. And the only way to fix that pride was going to give him some, some trials and difficult times. And Jesus is more than our handyman. He's more than our, our Mr. Fix-It. He's more than the person who, who we go to for a miracle. In fact, we miss it when we realize that we don't realize the greatest miracle that God does is to change us on the inside. In 2 Corinthians, it said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Person or creature or creation. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing that marked Jim's life, is that he who was far from God came to know God, and he was a new person on the inside. That's the miracle that God wants to do in every person's heart and life whose eyes are enlightened. So Jesus meets the qualifications of a God that would become man. If God did become man, he would come in a supernatural way. He would, he would be an amazing teacher. He would be a miracle worker. But he's more than that. And we would think about that on Easter because before Easter comes Good Friday and, and we realize that Jesus is the Savior of sins. He's the Savior from our sins. In fact, the name of Jesus really means that. Uh, she, she shall bear a son and he shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And this is what God had always said about the Messiah who was to come. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities in Isaiah. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He is the Savior of our sin. But you know what often people do with Jesus? I mean, they... Uh, you know, the watch, the passion, 
you know, the Christ, and they will, they will see the horrific suffering that Jesus endured on the cross for us, the physical pain, and, and somehow try to picture the spiritual pain of being forsaken of God. But, and what they'll do is somehow on, on a cross, unlike, uh, maybe a cross like ours, but unlike ours, they, they'll, they'll have a body on the cross, won't they? Jesus will still be on the cross. And all they're being marked on is that Jesus suffered for us. And he, he's, the, he's the big eraser on the end of the pencil that can somehow erase all of our sins. And, and there is no greater gift that God could give us than the forgiveness of sin. But if that's all that Jesus is for you is, is someone who erases things that, that you do that are mistakes or things that uh, sadden God, then again, even there you've missed it. Because ultimately the story of, of Easter is that God wants to have a relationship with us. And it's not just dealing with the past and getting rid of it. There's an ongoing present relationship with God that God wants. And, and we know it's marked as the truth because he's not only the one who's the Savior of sins, he, he's the resurrected Christ. It's been established very profoundly in 1 Corinthians 15. I won't read the passage, but it talks about this is of first importance. And, of course, anytime a, a teacher or writer say this is of first importance, you better note this, this is important, right? This is going to be on the test. This is something you need to remember. And he said, I want you to understand what the gospel is. The gospel is Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, then he rose from the dead, and then he began to appear to people all over the place. To Peter, then 12, and after that more than 500, and then he appeared to James, and then even to myself. You know, 13 or 14 occasions you have Jesus arriving on the scene, showing people that he had really risen from the dead. But, you know, some people are convinced. I, I've talked to many people. I said, do you believe that Christ really rose from the dead? And they said, yeah. they'll say, yes. So they're convinced that he's the resurrected Messiah, the resurrected Christ. Well, are you following him? And then their answer, interesting enough to me, will be no. So, so you're convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and, and you just left it there? Yeah. I, I, and I'll say, well, why? But why? Because they miss this part of the Easter story. That Jesus came not only to be our Savior, but also to be our Lord. Because who is this Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the one who has a supernatural birth. He is the amazing teacher. He is the miracle worker. He's the Savior of our sins. He is the resurrected one. But he's also the King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, fundamentally, to, to get in on that which Jesus came for, you must recognize this is the relationship that we are to have with Almighty God. That he is to be the leader, the Lord of our life. In Romans 10, 9, it says this. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, who? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So somehow in this transaction that we have with God, as we understand what Easter is all about and who this Jesus of Easter is, we got to come to this place where he came to be who he is for us. Not only our Savior but also our Lord, that he is the leader of our life, that he is the one to be in charge, that, that we follow him and his desires, not our own. He's not our consultant. He isn't the one we simply come up to and have a, an intimate 
relationship with. He is the one who leads us. And it's an open invitation for whoever will call in the name of the, what's the next word? Lord will be saved. Now, we don't understand all the implications of what it means for Jesus to be Lord, but at that point of relationship, we know he's in charge and we are not. And in Revelation, when he comes again, it's going to be so plain. And on the robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, so what's, what's my point this morning? As, as we understand what Easter is all about, what Resurrection Sunday is all about, it's all about answering that fundamental question, who is Jesus? And the question is not who is Jesus to somebody else, but who is Jesus to you? And it's not enough just to, to have the right answers in terms of the, the, the fundamental statements about Jesus, so that's crucial. But to have our eyes and hearts enlightened with the prayer of Easter is, is that what comes down to, is that true for you in your life? That, he, that you are convinced he is the one with a supernatural birth. He is the one with, who, is, who is an amazing teacher, is able to do the miraculous and does continue to do the miraculous and changing people's lives on the inside out. And we just heard that from Jim. He is the one who saves us from our sin. He makes us whiter than snow. We are clean in him. He is giving us the, the fundamental reason why we ought to be convinced it's true because he res, was risen from the dead. But we need to realize he is Lord. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and all that simply means is that we realize that we submit to him because of who he is. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, it's simple, but it's not always easy. And we already heard that from Jim. It's so simple. You can reduce it to simple ABCs. A, you must admit your need and turn from your sin, which means simply you turn from anything that you know saddens the heart of God, that you know breaks his commandments, that, that you hold on to more uh, deeply than anything else in life and say, God, I give this to you. I cannot change on my own, but I give you that which separates me from you, which is my selfish, selfishness and my desire to go my own way. You admit that and desire that God would take that from you. It'd be like going to a great physician, uh, uh, even a simple medical doctor here, and say, I want you to make me well. And he says, well, I'm going to have to do surgery. Oh, no, you can't do that. Well, I thought you wanted to get well. Yeah, but don't cut on me. And so as we think about coming to God, we need to admit our needs. Say, God, whatever surgery that needs to be done, you do it because I can't fix myself. That's admitting your need and, and allowing God to do that what needs to be done. Secondly, it means to believe. It means to trust that Jesus, when he died on the cross for you, paid for all of your sins and rose again. That he is the great physician that can do what he said he could do. You put your trust in him. And then see, you come to that place where you just commit. You commit all that you are to all that he is. You commit to follow Jesus, your Lord, God, and Savior. And that's a commitment you make the very first time you come to know Christ, and it's, the day, it's that commitment you make the rest of your life. You continually admit your need to depend upon him. You continually believe in him, and you continually commit to him. But it begins with that first step. And I want to close this Easter Sunday by just giving you an opportunity, if you've never made that commitment, to make that commitment today. And if you've already made that commitment, to, to in a fresh way say, Lord, I want to give you my life completely and fully today. Let's pray together. 
So, Lord, I want to pray for everyone here this morning. And then I want to give opportunity for everyone this morning to pray where they sit, which is simply talking with you and desiring, expressing the desire of their heart to do what you've given them an invitation to do, to receive the gift that you can give them if they'll open up their heart and life to you. And so, Father, for anyone here this morning that wants to know the true Jesus, they can do that this morning by praying this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit my need and turn from my selfish ways. I believe, I believe that when you died on the cross, you died for me and you paid the penalty for my sins and rose again. I commit, I commit to follow you as Lord, God, and Savior and receive the gift of life that you'll give me. And when you pray that prayer and really mean it, then Christ will answer that prayer. And if you already know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you know you're far from him, then I'd come back to him and say, Lord, I know I've been far from you, but I want you to lead my life because you truly are the Lord of this universe. Why would I not want the God who created me to lead me and the God who died for me to lead me? I want to turn from my selfish ways and follow you with my whole heart. Well, each of us, in many ways, have to pray one of those two prayers today. To refresh our relationship with you by saying, Lord, I want you to lead me more fully and completely. I want to yield to you. Or I want to come to you for the very first time. Help us to have our hearts and eyes enlightened this day. To hear and to see what you want to do in our lives. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude our time together, we invite you to stand as we sing. And if you'd like to talk with another more about spiritual things, we invite you to come as we sing. Let's stand as we sing one final hymn this morning. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love.